Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Stan Gale, and I am stepping in for Max this morning while he is on sabbatical. And we have the joy of opening God's Word through the book of James to be nourished and directed and drawn near to the heart of God through the work of His Holy Spirit. Our text this morning is from James 4, verse 13. All right, I'm going to be reading uh, verses 13 through 17. So let's give ear, please, to the reading of God's Word. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This ends the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Planning in pencil. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you have indwelt our prayers and our praises in this hour, so we ask that you would indwell the preaching of your word. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Last Sunday was the last day of our annual family vacation at Harvey Cedars Bible Conference on the Jersey Shore, Long Beach Island. And we've been going there for over 35 years, and we love it. Uh, our kids have gone there each year, and now our grandkids are going there. And our year would not be complete uh, without it. So on one, one hand, it's sad that it's over, uh, but we're glad we got it in. But that wasn't the case for everyone this year. Uh, my son's friend from uh, Geneva College was finally able to work it into his schedule so that he and his family could make it to Harvey Cedars this year. Uh, this, my son's friend is in the military, and he's been based at various places, Texas and other places, but finally he was in driving distance of Harvey Cedars. He lived in the Washington, D.C. area. So uh, we were looking forward to it. My son was looking forward to it. His parents, who come each year, they were looking forward to it, and all the plans were in place. Of course, you can see where this is going. Uh, well, they arrived on Monday. They got checked in, got settled in their room, and then my son's friend started feeling unwell. And he took a test, and sure enough, he had COVID. And so what that meant is uh, they had to, he and his family had to leave. They weren't able, first they were going to stay in their room, but what fun is that at the beach? <laughs> so they ended up having to leave. 
The good news is that the money they paid for their room this year was able to be applied to next year. Uh, the bad news is that that glad reunion uh, didn't happen. Reunion that had been planned for months. Now, I know that all of us here in this room can relate to things like that. Something as minor as a picnic getting rained out, all the way to extensive travel plans all booked and planned, uh, being scrapped because of unforeseen circumstances. There's a saying that kind of sums it up, best laid plans. Well, this morning, is that what James is talking to us about? Is he telling us to expect the unexpected? Or maybe he's driving us something a little more spiritual, where we need to be ready to flex with God's providence. And why does James bring up the topic of planning at all? And how does it fit into the flow of thought that he's laying out before us in this letter? Uh, this morning, James touches on something that is basic to our Christian lives and fundamental to what it means for us to walk by faith. So James lays out his argument in three declarations. Three declarations. The first is a declaration of intent. A declaration of intent. Uh, nowadays, my calendar is not nearly as congested as it used to be. Now that I'm retired, I, I still have events and appointments and uh, projects and plans that I do enter into the calendar, and some are over a year away. And I'm sure that's the case with you, no matter what stage of life that you're in. And planning is good because what planning does is it helps us to be organized. You know, when we put things on a calendar, we're not going to double book, theoretically. Also, planning helps us to be good stewards, to manage our time well as believers. But James, in this text, he's not just talking about planning. He's talking about planning with an attitude. Verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a, such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now it's clear that James is addressing kind of like rich people. He does that a couple places in this letter. He will, he will next week as well. But he's not just talking about rich people. He's talking about all of us. All of us. And you can hear the, the attitude I'm talking about um, when James, uh, when we... Uh, James is criti the criticism that he makes. So each of these verbs in this verse is in the future tense. So let's read it that way. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a place and will spend a year there and will trade and will make a profit. And James says those of you who make that declaration of intent 
he calls them out with his opening words when he says, come now, or get real. You need to remember something. And that is verse 14 is what he wants us to remember. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are for a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's James highlighting? What's he saying about each one of us? He describes us as a mist. Um, when I was a pastor, I would have many breakfast meetings with people. One of my favorite places to go was Hank's Place in Chad's Ford. And uh, so I would have this early morning appointment, and I would travel from Westchester, and I would go the back roads, and I would travel along this windy road that uh, followed the Brandywine Creek. And it's, it's early, it's just dawning, <clears throat> and in the, over the fields and everything was this mist that settled. And it gave it kind of a, a, a fantasy, like a dream, a dream-like appearance. And it was so cool. And I enjoyed it. And I would, nobody else was on that road, and I would just take my time making it to that meeting. But then when I would return from breakfast, the mist would be gone. It was there, and it was real, and it, was, it had an impact, but then it was gone. That's how James characterizes each one of us. It doesn't make any difference how rich we are or how important we are. Every one of us is temporal and transitory, transient. Not only that, but we are finite. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. You know, like that friend, my son's friend who came down with COVID. Nobody saw that coming. Or, and there's also no way that we could be sure that his stay or any of our stays at Harvey Cedars would have been uninterrupted. What James is doing is he is highlighting for us something basic to wisdom, something essential to navigating life in this world by faith. Now, what does the Bible say is the beginning of wisdom? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what is the fear of the Lord? Well, basically, the fear of the Lord is living according to that creator-creature distinction. The uncreated God and us as created beings. It is recognition that God is holy, W-H-O, holy other, and living in keeping with that. God is the creator, substantial and unchanging. We are but a mist. Actually, there's a word in the Bible that talks about this, that kind of captures the idea. The word glory, the Old Testament word for glory, kavod, means weight or substance. 
And God has this substance to it. When we, in worship, give Him the glory that is His name, we ascribe to Him what belongs only to God. In this substance, this weightiness that is God. We see this in Psalm 90. There's a contrast here. Listen to the contrast. Before the mountains were brought forth, Forever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. See the... God is beyond time. We are bound by time. God is enduring. We are ephemeral. And that's what James is emphasizing. He wants us to remember that we are but dust. And it is God who establishes the work of our hands. Our, uh, the work of our hands is established only by the purpose of God. So when James says, come now, you who make these declarations of intent, he is, in a way, chastising us for living without the fear of God, living without regard for God, living a life of self-determination. And you know, all of us do that. All of us do that. Sometimes it is in the extreme. When things do not go the way that we want, or things that are tragic and disappointing happen, and we may be even inclined to shake our fist at God. And we see that happening in the Psalms. Or maybe it's something more minor, where things do not go our own way. And what do we do? We... We grumble and complain instead of striving for contentment in the providence of our God, giving thanks in all things. Now, that's the first declaration, the declaration of intent. The second declaration we find is the declaration of insistence, where we assert something, we insist something. At first glance, it seems that James is telling us not to plan. But that's not the case. He's telling us it's okay to plan, but we need to make those plans contingent. We need, our plans need to be qualified by something. Verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Uh, the word instead here uh, that um, our, translate, our Bible, our translation uh, translates instead, it's the Greek word anti. Anti. So what James is doing is he is juxtaposing, putting for us two worldviews, two approaches to life. Two perspectives that actually are at odds with 
each other. One approach is to live autonomously, in defiance of God, perhaps, or the very least, in neglect of God. The other approach is to live in respect to God, in submission to God, subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One view is a secular view that kind of excludes God. And actually, this view can even take on a religious view. And we employ this when we do this, when we make plans and ask God to bless our plans. The other view keeps God at the center and looks to trust Him, serve Him, honor Him, and obey Him. So you see what James is doing here. He wants us to change our vocabulary. Rather than saying, what I will, we are to say, whatever God wills. So what that means for us is this is that we can plan. In fact, we should plan. But our planning needs to be in pencil. Ready to be erased by God. Ready to be revised by God as He pleases. We see this illustrated, uh, for example, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he says... um, and what, early on that he goes, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. You know, this, uh, this mindset of if the Lord wills, was uh, one of the most shocking things in my introduction to the Christian faith. Um, I'm from uh, Rehoboth Beach, a, a town in Lower Delaware, and every I worked as, as a um, busboy in a restaurant there, and every summer we'd have an influx of waitresses who would come in and for the summer spend the time at the beach, work at this restaurant. So I was dating um, one, of, uh, one of the girls, and I would go over to her house, spend a lot of time there, and she had three Christian roommates. And I remember vividly this one roommate, she had this opportunity that was amazing. She had this opportunity to go to someplace uh, kind of exotic. And you know what she said? She mentioned it. She says, "Um, I'm going to pray about it. She said, I'm going to pray about it if it's the Lord's will, to see if it's the Lord's will. And I thought she was out of her mind. I thought, what in the world are you doing? This This is an opportunity of a lifetime. How can you possibly give it a second thought? You see where she was coming from. She was coming from the perspective where she was submitting to the will of God before planning. She was seeking 
the will of God because that's the way that she was wired in her thinking. And that blew me out of the water because I had never been exposed to anything like that. But that needs to be our disposition. All right. Now, why do you think James is bringing this up? Why do you think James is talking about planning at all? How, how does he fit into his flow of thought? Well, I think it's this. James is writing to people who were in the thick of trial. They were persecuted. They were oppressed. And what he is reminding them, and he's reminding us, that all of life, from the various trials that we encounter in the course along the way to the plans that we make in the conduct of our lives. All of these things serve the will of our sovereign God. You know, remember how the epistle began? James says to consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. The only way that we are going to be, consider, be able to consider the trials of our lives joy or the only way we're going to be able to find peace when our plans are turned upside down and go out the window is to submit our wills to God believing that He does all things well. And isn't that what our Lord taught us to pray? To exercise this mentality as part of our daily prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All right, there's a declaration of intent, a declaration of insistence, and one more. And that is a declaration of independence. A declaration of independence. And now what James is doing is he is, uh, he is kind of circling back. In these few verses, he, there's a structure. There's a structure in, uh, in verses 13 and 14. There's a declaration of intent. There's verse 15, declaration of assistance. Now 16 and 17, declaration of independence. And you see what he's doing? He's structuring it this way. Problem, solution, problem. What it reminds me of is uh, when we send, out, send our teenage drivers out on the road. And you know, there's the problem where, where we say, there are piles of distractions out there. You're going to be tempted to text. You're going to be tempted to focus on this. But the, the, the solution is pay attention. Be careful. But then we come back to, uh, there's danger out there. We say it again, and that's what James does. Is he says that there is this uh, intent. You say, we say these things, but this is what we should say, but there's a problem. There's a problem that is going to try and lure us away, um, and that is this declaration of sin a declaration of independence made by sin to be independent of God. Verse 16. As it is, 
You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James is pointing us to the struggle that we will deal with our entire lives while we are still in this world. We might call it a misalignment. You know what a, when a car is misaligned, what happens? You take your hand off the wheel, what does it do? Whoop, or whoop. We contend with that our entire lives. What does James call this um, troublemaker of sin that dwells within us? In verse 16, he calls it arrogance. Arrogance. Arrogance has to do with a sense of self-importance. Basically, arrogance is a manifestation or a subset of pride where it shows itself in self-glory and self-reliance and self-serving. You know, the old master of my fate, captain of my soul. And what this does is this arrogance, it pits, pits us against God because we become rivals to God. In fact, wasn't that part of last week's text? Where, um, in verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, he's speaking about the way that we relate to him. Or verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now this prideful arrogance, we see it in unbelievers. Unbelievers. Unbelievers reject God. What they do is they, they look at creation in all its glory and intricacy and vastness. And it displays God's divine, divine nature and His power and His uniqueness. And what do they do? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We also see it in respect to the gospel that goes forth, where people will say, I'm not a sinner, or I don't need, I'm not as bad a sinner as the other person. And what they will do is they will not see in their arrogance their desperate, absolute need for Jesus Christ, thinking they don't need a Savior or thinking that Jesus, they can, uh, Jesus can uh, make up for what's lacking in them. But the thing is, this prideful arrogance, it affects us too, doesn't it? It affects us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not just a characteristic of unbelievers. It affects all of us. Next week, we're celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And what do we do in the Lord's Supper? We remember Christ's death until He comes. Why do we need to remember that? It's because we're such good forgetters. We think that something good dwells in us. We forget that our salvation rests totally and uh, always, continually, on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so, basically, the Lord's Supper is a reset button that gets us back to focusing on Jesus Christ. Also, uh, when John, in his epistle, 
he gives three areas for confession of sin that relate to our arrogance. He speaks of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, the lust of the flesh, it, it speaks of those times where we, we're driven to gratify the desires of our sinful nature rather than finding our delight and satisfaction in God. And there are a lot of ways we do that. That's not our text this morning. Or the lust of the eyes. And that's where we look at what someone else has or look at advertisements, things like that, and we covet and crave instead of finding contentment in Christ. But the third area, the pride of life. The word, when John writes that, he's using the same word that James uses for arrogance. And the pride of life is an area for us where we seek first our own kingdom and our own righteousness instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the way that works in life, this arrogance, uh, is that we seek our, our name to be known, that people, that people know our name, that glory is brought to us, and that our uh, kingdom what we are master over is extended. And this is what John says about those three things. He says, all these are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, James wraps up his argument with this statement, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And you see that James here is making a logical conclusion. The word so that begins verse 17, it's the word that could be translated therefore. So in other words, James is summing things up. He's driving things home. Well, how does that relate? What, what is the summary here, what is being driven home? It's this. It is our continuing struggle in this world while we were in the flesh, our struggle with sin. James is reminding us that sin not only involves what we do, but also what we don't do. What we leave out sins of omission and to live on our own as though we were independent of god is the very essence of what sin is in rebellion against the god in whom we live and move and have our being all right i mentioned in the introduction uh, to this passage that james touches on something that is uh, basic to the Christian life and uh, fundamental to what it means to walk by faith. What is that something that James is making sure that we, we understand? It's this. We must submit our plans to God, but more essentially, more basically, more fundamentally, we must submit ourselves to God. 
I want to leave you with uh, one last thought, and I hope you'll find this as a word of encouragement, because it's a foundational truth that uh, is behind everything that James has taught us this morning about planning. We are a mist, a mist that does not endure. And because of that, our plans may well come to naught. But because He does not change, God's plans will not fail. And that's why nothing in all the created order shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what that means is this, brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word to us this morning. I thank you for your spirit shoring up our flagging faith for your spirit returning our focus to you, the God who does not change and who cannot lie. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us and keep us and hold us fast as you promised, believing, Lord, that you will. And I thank you for each one here. And I pray, Lord, that this message might be in our mouths, that we might even share it with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.